It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. And here we go, Las Vegas. Welcome on in. He waves sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. It's Tim Unglesby and Demon Cotton with you in hot, hot Las Vegas. My co-host, Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com, hashtag SGN. Tommy, I feel like I'm doing an audition tape here. How's the weather in New York City? <laughs> yeah, take two here. Yeah, I, I, I would say it's almost... Uh... It was almost too cold yesterday to go in the pool today. No, the pool was perfectly fine. The weather is getting good here. I'm a guy that likes 90-degree weather, but most people would say it's pleasant. It's uh, in the mid to upper 70s this weekend, as opposed to last weekend where it was like 94 and people complaining. So, so you've done, you've done uh, summertime Vegas. You know, we, we, we burst at 110. It's going to be in the mid-110, <laughs> 115 this week. Just it's uh, People always ask me, how do you get used to it? Like, there's no getting used to it. You just deal with it, and you try not to be in it if you don't have to be. You know, it's it's Vegas. It's it's a desert. That's what you do. You know. I was there. I took my buddy there the first time um, he had ever gone to Vegas. We decided to go on a trip in August. Uh, it was one sixteen on the strip. If you remember, uh, right outside, like Circus Circus, or, or uh, maybe it was Treasure Island. They used to have, you know the time, and then it would call, say the temperature. It said 116 on the strip. He was dying, freaking out, and I said, no, I'm okay. I don't really mind the heat. I usually don't, Tim. So for me, Vegas is fine. I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather 88 to 92 uh, than the 116, <laughs> but I don't mind the heat. Yeah. To each its own, right? To each its own. Tim, anything under, like, 65, I'm going, yeah, this is too cold for me. That's why I need to move to the islands. I've got to make enough money to move to the islands soon. Yes, year-round temp, right? Same. Exactly. Uh, no, no, uh, no temperatures in, in Key West. That, that's, my, uh, that's my island. No temperatures above, like, 92, 93. No temperatures. It's never had a frost there. That, that, that's nah. my zone right there. No, that's, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So... Last night we started the show with NBA. Tonight we're going to start with the NHL as game one of, I'm just going to call it the Eastern Conference Finals, was played today in Tampa. And, you know, for the last couple of weeks we've, we've talked about, even last night, and I know we'll retouch the subject here in a second, but we had talked about the proverbial hot goaltender in the playoffs, and, and Carey Price came to mind. But, you know, when you look at this Islander team, which is just a, they're playing you want not even a hot goaltender because Varley's playing great. He's won, today. This was his fourth win in a row, and obviously they won their last three against Boston to, to get here as underdogs. So four straight underdog wins if you're betting them on the Islanders. But the team itself, Tom, also you can be labeled as hot. You know they go in to a, a place like Tampa, the defending champions. They play their style of hockey, and they come away with a two-one win, and now they lead one nothing in the series. Yeah, I couldn't be more impressed with the Islanders. You know, and I, I keep saying that. It, look, it's the NHL. It, it's the NHL playoffs. We know 
what happens at this point. You know, it, it's craziness, but the Islanders just keep playing that style that we talked about. Before Pittsburgh, I talked to you. I said, I'm taking the Islanders on, you know, on the money line. I'm for the series because they play that style that can just frustrate you. And again, Boston, you know what? Boston probably wins, but you almost have to take a little bit there. You have to kind of take a shot because that Islander style. Now, I thought Tampa Bay, and I made the argument last night, are massively more talented. I mean, just worlds more talented. The Islanders played that style today. Look, the score of 2 nothing isn't even indicative of how much the Islanders absolutely beat up this team. Think about it like this, Tim. The only score that the Tampa Bay Lightning got was with a minute and 30 to go on a 6-on-4. That was it. That was their only goal. They didn't get close. It wasn't even like um, Tampa was taking a, a barrage of shots and a, a goalie stood on his head. No, they couldn't even get off good shots. They couldn't get there. They weren't able to execute. It was a pure display of we are just going to absolutely sit back and frustrate this team and make them rip their hair out of their head. You said the word familiarity when you talk about the common opponents that these teams played this year in um, the regular season because basically it was just divisional play. Does Do you think this is a, a situation where if you look at these two teams last year, they met in this same scenario, Eastern Conference Final, which Tampa ended up winning in six games. But they have played each other three times in the last four years in the playoffs. And I know, Tom, that rosters do change, but the familiarity in just in the last two and a half years, is, there's a lot of common factors involved here, including the, the head coaching situation. Do you think this is kind of like a muscle memory situation for the Islanders, that even though they didn't play them in the regular season, you know, what really changes with the style of play? They're, they they played the same style of hockey, these two teams, for the last four years. So maybe that factors into the handicap as well? Yeah, and I think I underrated last night when I thought Tampa was so much better. I think I underrated the surprise stylistic factor. You said it. Look, they've played before, but didn't play this year, right, at all. Um, and it's almost like watching a, you know, a boxer go left. Right? We watched that in Rocky, right? Remember? Oh, he's going to go left. Yeah. Why? To surprise him. It, if you are a good baseball hitter, right, what do they do? They're going to bring in a lefty. You know what? This guy could be a triple-A guy, but he's a lefty. They want to throw something out at you, kind of surprise you a little bit. That different style is something that can surprise him. We see it in football all the time. There could be a massively uh, just dominant team, and all of a sudden Alabama – uh, gives up an opening drive touchdown to, you know, St. Mary's School for the Blind. Somebody awful. So how did they even score? Louisiana Monroe? Well, they came out, they did something crazy, they did something weird. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, and I don't want to say the word fluky, but in a lot of ways, that's what the Islanders are. And that's what they executed today. Because Tampa Bay is going, we, we may have seen this before a couple of years ago, but this is, what, what, what's going on? We haven't played this kind of team yet. They're so unbelievably unique in their style, in their approach, in everything they do. They're so unique that I think it caught Tampa Bay off guard. Mm-hmm. Steven Stamco said in the in the presser, Tom, that uh, they're not they're they're not worried. They're fine in the position they're at because you know when you know you're going to lose games in the playoffs, including last year. You know Tampa lost Game One last year to Dallas in the finals and ended up. Uh, basically just burying them the rest of the way out, Tommy. And, you know, sometimes 
I, I, you know, when you're looking for, like, again, I'm going to use that word familiarity, and, and in the first two rounds, Tampa had to open their series on the road. They get an opportunity to open at home. I'm not saying that factor because the Islanders had to go on the road and win this game, right, Tom? But I think when you're looking at trouble signals, Tampa's not necessarily a team I'd be worried about losing a game in a series. There's still a potentially six more to be played. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about them for the series. You know, I did uh, look at the series price, and I said, oh, yeah, you know, if you have them for the series, I'm not worried. But <laughs> with that being said, you did lose a game at home. You did lose the opening game. And they didn't lose that game today. They were dominated, thoroughly dominated. Now, you could say, well, Valesky only gave up two goals. He did, and, and that's fine. This is the kind of games that the Islanders are going to win, though. When Tampa Bay wins the, the games in this series, I don't think they're going to win a lot of 2-1 games. I think the games that they're going to win, they're, it's going to be defensive lapses, and all of a sudden it's going to be four or five goals, and the Tampa Bay barrage is going to be just too much. But what I look here, and I, I look at just the way they, they beat them, this was a thorough beatdown. There was nothing fluky. There was nothing special. There was nothing weird about this game. The Islanders beat them up. The Islanders beat them up all game. The Islanders frustrated them. They could not get the puck in the zone. They couldn't get, forget about a deflection, they couldn't get a good shot off. It was bad shots, bad corners. They were daring them to shoot from just unmakeable angles. The Barry Trotz situation and, and the game plan that he had was simply remarkable tonight. Yeah. And that's had that almost a, that trapping style defense, Tom. You look at Stamkos and Kucherov; they each only had a shot on one shot on goal apiece. You know, and if you're going to keep those guys at bay, that's that's the heart and soul of the offensive lineup there in Tampa. Can they do it again in Game Two? You know, this is where the coaching comes in, right, Tom? This is where they need to make adjustments, and we'll see what happens Tuesday night. And that's the thing. I mean, uh, you know, you could say, "Well, I'm not that word if you're Tampa Bay," but. Is it Tampa Bay in a must-win situation now, Tim? I mean, I look at game two now for Tampa. You cannot lose both games at home, give this upstart team this kind of momentum, turn around and, and expect to go on the island and go beat this, this New York Islanders team in a place where they have the third-best home record this year. I just don't see it, man. I, all of a sudden, you could go, yes, I'm not worried. But in the same respect, they're not mutually exclusive here. You could not be worried and also say it's also a must-win game, too. Yeah. I would say must-win. You don't want to put yourself in the... You don't want to put yourself in the position that Vegas had to be in, right, in the last round, Tom. The only difference was that they lost those first two on the road and were able to come home and get the situation settled, whereas you saw Tampa did it to their, their first two opponents, right, Tommy, in, in, the, in these playoffs. They did it to Florida in round one. And they did it again in, in round two by taking two nothing leads on the road. And, you know, when, I know when you look historically about teams that win the first game of a series, how the record is astronomical going on to the next round. You know, when you win two games in a series, it's, it's even worse for that team. So I'm with you on it. It's a must win. And speaking of must wins, when you look at the line, it's a, it's a lower line than game one was, Tommy. If you want Tampa right now, you can give them at $1.75. I'll be playing Tampa. I'll be playing yeah. Tampa in game two. Look, there's a lot of sports handicappers out there. You know, TomBartonSports.com. A lot of guys are going to rip me apart. Oh, you can't take a huge favorite. 
I get it. You know, look, sports handicappers get ripped apart for taking huge favorites. I'm not afraid of huge favorites if you pick your spots. And I'll pick my spot here, and I'll say, yeah, I'm taking Tampa in game two. And if they lose, look, I think the series is over. I do. I'm at that point. I don't think that Tampa could go in, win four of the next five, four games on the road. They're going to have to take at least three of those games on the road. Tim, it just it, it's almost a must win, and I really don't care what the number is. I've taken two-to-one favorites before in baseball. This is not much different. I'll take the, two, the, the 175. I'm not telling you I'm guaranteeing the win, but it'll be a play for me. In a maybe a foreshadowing situation here, Tom, and I'm not. We'll, we'll talk about the Canadians here in a second, but just for Pete's sake, if if Vegas is in the final, and you saw what the Islanders are capable of doing against Pittsburgh, against Boston, against Tampa, now so far, you know they adjust the styles, they have success playing playing teams that, that score. Would you, if you're a Vegas fan, would you rather not see the Islanders, or would you rather not see Tampa, or would you rather not see either of them, Tom? That both those teams are playing right now. You said initially when the last round began that it's Colorado Vegas winners your champion. Did you switch and say maybe the Islander Tampa winner is the champion now? I still think it's Vegas um, until I watch some of this Montreal series, but I still think it's Vegas right now. But I'm telling you, it's not an easy road. You either have to face Vasilevsky and that offense, which is basically Tampa, to me, is the exact same team as the Avs. Now, you can say Vegas fans are going to go, well, yeah, we beat the Avs. You did beat the Avs. You're right. But it also took overtimes, and it went seven games. And, right? I mean, it was, it was a tough, tough situation. I think it's going to go seven games if that's the situation. The Islanders present that unique problem. I don't think you want to face the Islanders. A team with nothing to lose, that unbelievable fan base that is just ridiculous, going, the travel, going all the way across to go into a place that is actually louder than your stadium and louder than your arena, um, and then play that weird style that they play. It's everything that Vegas doesn't want to play. And I'll tell you what, one of my problems with Vegas over the last couple of years uh, since their existence has been, they oftentimes play the style that the other team plays. Now, it, it's been a successful situation in most cases. All right, you want to go up? Okay, we, we can score, right? Oh, you want to just uh, play down? Oh, okay, we can play. They can't play this, the way that the Islanders play. The Islanders are going to force them, okay, play our game. Vegas won't dictate that pace. So I, I still have Vegas winning against both of them. I still have Vegas being the favorite against both of them. But we're talking about Vegas in the next round, Tim, and we're falling into the trap that we talked about last night. Not to fall into Vegas tonight, Ben, because I think Montreal is going to really put up a good show here. They say Montreal would be the ultimate under, underdog story, right? And I get it. Uh, barely makes the playoffs. <clears throat> Down 3-1 in the first round. Worked their way through to this opportunity. But wouldn't the Islanders be also the ultimate underdog, right, Tom? Underdog in round one against Pittsburgh. Underdog in round two against Boston. Underdog in this series, if they move on to the finals, with the exception of it being Montreal, if it's Vegas, they, of course, would be the underdog, Tom. And and that's with a Stanley Cup winning coach and with a a tandem goaltenders that you can look at going either way you want to right now with the Islanders. Obviously, Varley's the guy right now. Tons of experience. Sorokin won four four in a row in the first round, you know. So they have that, that going for them. And it's, uh, 
the pressure, like I said, we talked about pressure with Montreal. The same applies for the Islanders, I think. If they can get through Tampa, there's no pressure again because we're, hey, Tom, we're underdogs again. And, you know, it, it's funny because go out there and ask Vegas fans, hey, can you guys name three guys on the Islanders? Can you name, you know, two guys on the Islanders? Can you name the, the goalie? Right? I mean, uh, it is a collection of just randoms, but those randoms are playing like a team. And those randoms are also sitting back. And not only are they playing like a team, Tim, they look like they're having fun out there. And they look like that, that's that kind of upstart team that ha- they're having fun playing as a team. That makes them increasingly dangerous, man. Very dangerous. This is a team that you look at and you go, yeah, you know, uh, there are major threats all over the place. So let's look at the series again that starts tomorrow. I know we touched on it last night, but just in case we have new listeners tonight, Montreal, Las Vegas will play a game one of the, I'm calling it the Western Conference Finals, Tom, here in Las Vegas. It's going to be sold out, as you know, and this line is open 260 for game one. I'm looking at 280s in places, 275s. Obviously, the money coming in on, on Las Vegas for game one and the series Montreal has no shot, according to everybody on Twitter that's hockey experts, and I'm talking about Vegas Golden Knight fans. You know, Montreal has no chance in this series. They're going to get swept. Sometimes you feed a beast. You don't expect what you're going to get in return, that that beast eventually, Tommy, is going to break free. Yeah, I I think that the overconfidence is there. Um, There is no doubt that Vegas is better than Montreal. That Guess what? Tampa Bay is better than the Islanders. Right? And look at what they just got tagged with. You could use all the cliches you want. Uh, NHL, anything can happen, anything. Right? All, you could use all of the cliches, Tim. Vegas Golden Knight fans, do not take the Montreal Canadiens lightly. Don't do it. Because I really look at this team and I go, you know, I think that they are just doing something incredible. And they have that X factor. And price is that X factor. Nobody expects... Montreal to win the series. Hell, nobody expects them to win either game here this week in Vegas, Tommy. And that's look. There's a reason for that, right? We all agree. But what's uh, what's the game plan if you're Montreal coming in? You you want to not let Vegas get on the board quick, right? Vegas is, has just a, a an apt way of scoring early and really putting the pressure on you. you I think you just want to like, slow this game down as much as you can. And keep it tight, and that way, if it comes down to goaltenders, you know, may the best man win, whether it's Carey Price or Mark Andre Fleury. You know, I think one of the, the aspects is I can't wait to see how Vegas comes out because Vegas is going to try to dictate the base. But like I said, they often allow the other team to kind of dictate it. Vegas is, by and large, a defensive team that relies upon their just tremendous goaltending. That's what they are. But they caught fire against the Avs offensively. I wonder if they come out and they, they go, you know what, let's play that offensive game. Let's try to outshoot them, and let's dare Montreal to kind of beat us because we know we got to put a lot of pucks on price to try to get one pass here. I wonder how they're going to come out because I think that Vegas is best when they are playing the slowdown style, let Flurry make those saves, get a big shot from a guy like Stone, right? And that's the way I think Vegas is best. But I wonder if they're going to get into a position here where all of a sudden you look at this and you say, 
yeah, you know what? The Knights are red hot offensively, and they're just going to start peppering the puck. Montreal has an infinity of blocking shots, Tommy, and, you know, whether they can get... They want to stop the lanes from opening, basically, and, and allow the rebounds. That's up the price to keep the rebounds um, to, a, to a low, right? You just don't want to give them opportunity after opportunity, like you said. Um, Vegas is used to being the better team. Vegas is used to putting the puck on net. Vegas is used to cleaning up the scraps. And you see when saw early, I think it was game, well, game one was, was a, really can't count that because Colorado caught them and just kind of, they, I, in my mind, Vegas gave up in game one, but Vegas was the better team in the series is what everybody wants to say. And I didn't necessarily see it that way, Tom. I thought there were a couple things that went Vegas' way at the end that gave them that series. So in this one, Montreal, I think, has to be the better team every game, right, Tom? You, they're just not explosive enough to keep up in a seven-game series. So if they're going to win this, they've got to do it in five or six, and that's, that's just tough to ask. I don't know, though, Tim. You know, to me, I look at Montreal and I say, if Vegas makes mistakes, mental mistakes, Montreal right now on the penalty kill and on executing their penalties is worlds above Vegas. They are just fantastically doing well in the playoffs. Now, you could say, well, they played, you know, two teams in Calgary and Toronto, but I don't want to hear that. Compare them to what Vegas is doing, and it's unbelievable the difference. They can get back in these games. They can win these games. They can be in front. They can control this entire series if Vegas makes mental mistakes. Now, just like I said last night, Vegas is by far the more talented team. They are the better team. But a team that makes mistakes, the other team has to take advantage. And what we've seen so far in the playoffs is that Vegas on the penalty, not exactly playing their A game. Montreal, the best team on the penalty kill right now in all of the playoffs, of all the playoff teams that we had before it, and they're crushing it when they actually get penalties on the other side. So their penalty kill is good. The other side of it is, is really they're able to score. This is going to be a game where Vegas wants to just make no mistakes. Don't give them that opportunity. Well, when you look at the line, we set it, 270, 280 series, right, Tom? I got them. I, I put a little bit on Montreal myself at plus 425. Um, and you said in, in, in game action as far as what happens after game one that those numbers will change dramatically, right? If, if Vegas wins game one and they win, say they win by two or three goals, right, Tom, you're going to get huge plus value in game two and the series on Montreal. I expect this to go out of Las Vegas, Montreal down 0-2, and I will sprinkle some on the series at that point. Because I think that it is uh, a big-time effect on the road. I think it's a big-time effect in that situation. So, yeah, I did personally sprinkle some on Montreal here. Not a lot, very, very little bit, um, but enough to make it interesting because I got almost 4-1 to back, right? So I have a little bit there. They lose game one, I'm going back into the well, Tim. They lose game two, I'm going back into the well. Now you can say, well, Tom, you're going you know, you can, you can to lose all three. Maybe I will, but you will watch. Well, let, let's, say I, let's say it's 100 bucks, right, Tim? I have an opportunity to bet 100 or 200 bucks 
and get back more than 1,000, more than 10 to 1 odds when all is said and done. I might be able to get 15 to 1 odds or more when you combine all the deals that I, I would be able to make. And at that point, why not? Now, if Montreal wins game one or game two, the odds are not going to shift drastically. People are still going to be into Vegas and really into Vegas going forward. The odds will move, but even then they won't move drastically because people won't buy into them. Look at the line today of the series of Tampa Bay. It didn't go down that much, right? It really didn't because people still don't believe. So you're still able to make moves after game one. I wanted to see game one, Tampa at the Islanders. I really believe that Tampa at home was going to hold court. It would be very hard-pressed for me to believe that Montreal is going to win game one. But look, you know, we sat here 24 hours ago, and I said it was hard-pressed for me to watch the Islanders. And look at what we just witnessed. Yeah. And for those of you that aren't up to date with as far as the rosters go, you know, when you look at Montreal, Tommy, there's some veterans in that dressing room, Shea Weber, Corey Perry. Corey Perry won a Stanley Cup, of course, in Anaheim. Eric Stahl and some former VGK guys, Tom, Nick Suzuki, a guy they traded uh, over to Montreal in the Pacioretty trade. You have Tom Tatar, who was a guy they had traded in to Montreal, and John Merrill, a fan favorite in Vegas, all now Montreal. So there's a lot of little storylines here, but this isn't a young, this is a mix of young up-and-coming, but they have some veteran leadership there in, in the locker room, and, uh, of course, Carey Price. <laughs> no one better to start it there for you, Tom. I can say this about Montreal. If this team is down 0-1 uh, in, in the game, down 2 nothing in the game, they're not going to pack it up. It's not going to be, oh, okay, we're out of this. And that's the difference between a very young team and up-and-coming and a team that you'll look at and you say, no, you know what, they're mixed with veterans in there. What do you think? They lose game one. What are you going to get if this series 8-1? to one? Yeah, well, right now, I watched it get to almost 5-1, to one, and then it teared back down at, like, minus 470 was the highest I saw it. So I think yeah. you're going to get 7-1 to one after, after game one. You might get 8-1. to one. You might find that one book out there, shop around, that you could get an 8-1, to one, probably 7-1. to one, And I think if they lose game two, it's more than 10-1. to one. I, think, I think it's going to be, like, 12-1. to one. Yeah. So you, all in told, if you keep going into the bank, let's say you bet 100 bucks each time, $300, right, will turn around and be able to win you, uh, like, 2500 bucks. Yeah. It's a nice risk. What, what if they, Tom, what if they win game one? And that's what I, I don't think that the odds are going to go down that much. You know, look, right yeah. now, let, let's just call it, like, 470, 480, you know, for the series. Um, I've seen it as high as 500. I've seen it as low as like 400. But we'll, let's let's say it's you know 470 for argument's sake here. If Montreal wins Game One, I, I don't think it goes down. What do you what do you think it goes down to? I, I'm saying 350. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're still going to get great odds, even if it goes down to 300, which I just don't see it going that far. But even if it goes down to 300, you're still getting three to one odds. I mean, it's still going to be good odds, and then. If Vegas ties it back up to 1-1, you'll get back to the original odds again, except you've got a game in your pocket. Yeah. Same, same with they win game one. It goes down to 3-1 to one with a game in your pocket. So it, right, it doesn't, exactly. you know. Yeah. You know, and, and if they go, look, if they're up 1-0, I, I think the odds go to 3-1. to one. 
If they go up 2 nothing, I still think the odds on Vegas is going to be like minus like 150. I think you're going to probably get 140, 150 back on Montreal going home, maybe 130 back on Montreal going home. But most likely, let's just say Vegas ties it up at 1-1. We're shooting back to minus 450 or so. Yeah. So there is a – when people bet futures odds, there is the prevailing thought and the idea, and I watch people do it all the time, that it's one bet, you put it to sleep, you put it in your safe, and you walk away. Now, a lot of professional handicappers and a lot of guys in this business will not touch future odds because they don't want their bankroll to put out. That's, that's argument two. We'll get into that another day, okay? What I'm saying is that I like to play with my futures odds. I made a commitment on Montreal. I like them for the series. I'll go back into them and be able to manipulate the lines to get even better lines one way or the other here where a lot of times I see guys that bet futures odds, what do they do, Tim? They sit back, they put it away, and they don't even look at the ticket ever again. It's just the wrong way to approach futures. So far in the Stanley Cup playoffs, averaging right around 800,000 viewers, up 10% last from last year's bubble, Tom, and up 16% from 2019, the last time the playoffs had fans in the building. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not shocked. You know, it's a better... It, hockey's becoming a better product in front of our faces uh, while the NBA is becoming a worse product, right? I mean, you look at the golden age of hockey, and the golden age of hockey it really hasn't come yet if you really break it down. They've never been on top of the world. Now, you had Gretzky, sure, he was there, and, and obviously there was a tension uh, given to Wayne Gretzky because he's Gretzky. But when was the last time we had a collection of youngsters like this? I know most of them are out of the playoffs, but McDavid and Matthews and McKinnon and these guys that are all 25 years old or right around there or younger, Braden Point, and you look at this and you go, hockey has a good future if they're able to capture it. But in my lifetime, Tim, they've never been able to keep any momentum up. So it's good to see that the ratings are up. It's good to see that people are interested. You know, I like it. I think a lot of it, by the way, probably has to do with uh, Toronto and Montreal being in there. Um, I think a lot of it also has to do with the Islanders being in there, which is a great TV market. Um, but it doesn't matter who's in there. My point is that they have to be able to keep this momentum up. There's a number of ways that they could do it. I just have never watched the NHL be able to grab onto any kind of momentum. Yeah, we, we, We've talked about it for years, right? You need more American stars, and I just don't know that that it's possible. I just But, Tim, you know, there's also the idea of, like, the superstar rules that the NBA came out with. You know, I think we've, we, as good as the ratings are now, if this was, um, you know, McDavid taking on Vegas, I think it would be something different. But you don't see superstar talent in the NHL getting an advantage. Now, True NHL fans that are out there are going to be throwing stuff at the, ra- at the radio right now. Oh, I don't want that. I don't want any advantages. We don't want to become the NBA. We know when LeBron James drives, he's either making the basket or he's getting fouled. Him, right? I mean, guys could, could literally touch him, break a fingernail. They could blow on his ear. He, in any kind of contact, he's getting that advantage. Why? Because they want the camera on the guy <laughs> that... You know, sell shoes. They want the camera on the guy that's putting butts in the seats. They want the camera on that guy. They want to make superstars. And they made a concentrated effort about this. Go back and watch games in the 80s. 
That didn't happen. All of a sudden, it was, oh, wait, these guys sell shoes. They have endorsements. You go back to Jordan. It was even Jordan. Bump the guy, touch him a little bit. All of a sudden, hey, we're going to prop this guy up, and we're going to have the Jordan rules and then the LeBron rules and all these big superstars you see getting calls that other guys wouldn't get calls. It does not happen in the NHL. There are watching an NHL game. I, I watched, you know how much I watched McDavid this year, right? I watched, uh, I would say, 90%, 85% of all of McDavid's games this, this season. And there are a number of times, I would say two, three times a game, where I'm going, you could have called that penalty. It might be a penalty on him. It might be a penalty on him taking a shot, and they don't call it. If they started to do that and started to favor the superstars, a lot of hockey purists are going to go, well, that would ruin the game. But the reality is, that's how you create stars. That's how you push the agenda. That's how you create the league that the NBA once had and now has lost. But if you look at the breakdown, right, Tom, and I know that hockey is... Canadian, it's a European Canadian sport, right? And when you have less than 25% of your players, American, says something, where it's 97% American cities, right? And you can say, well, Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, those are going to be the guys. Okay, maybe they are. And I can even, you talk about throwing things at the radio, right? I'm sure this will upset VGK fans in that. If people listening are going to say, well, what about the guys we have? What guys do you have? They're all Canadians, number one, right, Tom? And number two, they're not superstars. Your, your, your superstar is a busted-up goalie right now who's on the other side of his career. That's your superstar. Don't tell me it's Marshall. I don't want to hear about Stone, right? They, they may be good players. Stone, very good. He's not a superstar, though, right, Tom? No, absolutely not. He's on the... No one's putting him in a top 10 list, Tim. I think very few people are putting him in a top 15. You know, and you, the names flow off your, your lips. I mean, it's the, the Matthews and McKinnon, McDavid, uh, the Leo, it, it's uh, Crosby and Ovechkin. And, uh, you know, I just named 70. got Braden Point you can throw in there. Uh, 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 Kucherov, I mean, you know, you can throw him in. It, it, you get to 10 before Stone even becomes a thing. I mean, he's not even a, a thought before you get to 10 and probably not outside of 15. And I think there is something really resonating with the idea that, like you said, people inherently want to root for people that they can relate to, people that they look like, where they're from, and, and so on. My daughter has, uh, you know, unbelievably strawberry blonde hair, okay? <laughs> you know, some days it's a little red, and we know it's going to be a bad day. Other days... It's very, very blonde, you know, but she has strawberry blonde hair. She goes into the store to go buy a doll. She's going to go, if there's, there's three girls with black hair, one girl with very red hair, she's going to go and buy the blonde-haired one or the one that has the strawberry blonde hair because it kind of looks like her. She doesn't know the difference. She's, she's three years old, right? And sports fans are not much different. Look, you can love a Canadian guy. Oh, man, I'm going to root for him, going to root for him, root, root, root. Oh, yeah, okay, I love him. But if you was an American, you'd probably root a little harder, just because that's where you're from, and that's what you're rooting for. And it goes by state to state, even. I mean, I find myself following careers of guys that grew up around here. You know, Marcus Stroman grew up around here. If, you know, you go back and you look at a couple of players that are, are from here. 
How about if a comedian or an actor is from your neighborhood? You're going to follow them a little bit closer. It's just how Americans and really how the world is built, and it's been built like this forever. You relate to people that are like you. Um, why do we all root for George Foreman when he kind of came back? Or, or, you know, he's a likable guy. Oh, I can hang out. Oh, I know him from the uh, grill commercials, right? I mean, you root for that. So I think you do have something with the Canadian aspect and the European aspect of it, where if there was that American star, if McDavid was from America and he played for an American city, he might be the most popular athlete out there, even though hockey isn't. Why? Because he's so good, he's so young, and he's so marketable. He would be pushed as the next guy. Because he's Canadian, because a lot of the Golden Knights are Canadian, you don't have that special connection. If you're not a fan of the team, you're a, look, well, I'm a fan of the team. Sure, all rules go out the window. But we're talking about overall. Right now, it's not a matter of getting the Vegas fans, the New York fans, uh, you know, the Tampa Bay fans and the Montreal fans. You got them. Their teams are there. But it's a matter of getting the fans that aren't in those cities. Why are people in Chicago still watching? Why are people in Pittsburgh still watching? Why are people in Boston still watching? And you have to give them something. You got to give them somebody to kind of root for. And that's where the NHL falls flat. There's not that superstar left right now. One of these big up-and-coming guys is just not there. Outside of Kucherov, okay, there is no superstar on the Islanders, Montreal, or Vegas. So I expect people in the NHL circles to, I expect this next round, the ratings to go down a little bit, Tim. And the ratings are going to go down. But there really isn't much of a chance and much of an opportunity and much of a reason for those people that are fringe fans or kind of fans to watch if it's not in your city. Tommy, they were never able to <clears throat> make it a huge success when you had, at least in us for us, growing up through our uh, early adulthood ages, watching Crosby and Ovechkin go at it, right? And um, that was the time, I think, that marketing-wise, you'd want to market it to the world. It's perfect. But, again, it, neither one of those guys is an American. And uh, they both played in American cities, right, in, in, in hockey stronghold cities in Pittsburgh and Washington. Problem was, because of their, their dumbass system of the way the playoffs matched up, they were playing each other in the first and second rounds. I mean, there's a lot of problems in the NHL. I blame Gary Bettman for a lot of them. I, I give him credit for some things, but more so than not, he took an NBA model, took it to the NHL, and has never really expanded on it. So I don't know what they can do, Tom. You said ratings are going down, and, you know, because of uh, what teams are playing or what players are left, I agree. Just in the future, I, I just don't see it ever exploding. I don't think you – if you couldn't do it with Gretzky, again, Canadian, playing in a Canadian team, right? When he came to America, and uh, we were – I want to say we were high schoolish, maybe, maybe a little bit younger than that. And I get it, the TV situation is different nowadays, but back then there was a lot less things to do, so maybe that could have created some type of a rush, but it didn't anywhere else outside of L.A. So they've never been able to be successful with it. They've had top-tier guys throughout the decades. I just don't see it becoming ever bigger than it is right now, and that's, you know, that's a shame. You know, and I think there's something inherently with hockey that is um – a little college football-esque, right? Guys, I'll, I'll talk to people that tell me their whole world revolves around college football. Go talk to somebody down in Tuscaloosa, right? 
their houses is got Alabama stuff outside. They name their dog after Alabama players. They could name every single thing about Alabama. They haven't missed a game in 15 years. They just traded down to their kids, and everything is Alabama. And you go, oh yeah, man. Well, what do you think about Justin Herbert, man? He looked he looked good uh, slinging it for Oregon, and they go, who? <laughs> what? They don't know anything outside of the SEC because that's what they are. And I think the NHL is like that. The NHL will always thrive in places like Boston, Chicago, Pittsburgh, New York, right? They'll always survive in those hockey towns. It's those go-get-the-outside towns that it's always been a problem. And hockey fans generally, they always, you always hear the whole, oh, I don't care, we don't even need the fans. Like, what, you know, because it's, it's a badge of honor that there's almost a fringe movement there. They've got to get away from that. You know, baseball's becoming a lot of very regionalized as well, um, almost like college football, and it just stunts the expansion, it, it stunts the growth. But I do believe that hockey is in a good place with their young stars. they got to do something, though. They, they have to elevate these young stars. Fantasy football did wonders for the NFL. The NFL was always a great product anyway, but they do wonders. Because you, you can watch a game between... If you live in Florida, you can watch a game between Minnesota... And Green Bay, and you're watching because, well, you know what? I got Dalvin Cook, and uh, he's got Devontae Adams, right? I mean, you're watching because of that. In the NBA, how many times do we hear people talking about one player? A one player. Yeah, the Nets and Milwaukee are on tonight. You know, you know what? I'm a, I'm a Lakers fan. I want to see how Giannis does, though. No. Hey, Portland's on tonight. Portland against Denver is on tonight. I'm a Bulls fan. Yeah, I kind of want to see what Dean Lillard's going to do. That, that mentality works so well for the NBA. It's worked so well for the NFL. Major League Baseball has it when there's a star pitcher on the mound. The NHL has never been able to capture that. Game one, Western Conference Finals tomorrow night here in Las Vegas, Montreal, in Vegas, 6 o'clock face-off. Golden Knights, 270-280 favorites, game one. And we're going to head to our first-hour timeout. When we come back, we'll move over to... The NBA, where we saw an elimination game tonight and a series get tied up and what are the ramifications of the injury situation in Brooklyn. We'll break it down with Tom next. It's E-Wave Sports, Super Sunday Night, Hour 2 on the way, Fox Sports Radio. (laughs) 